Weirdom. Revelation by and through the mind of an infant. Chapter, 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 chapter. Four, 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 four. The evolving, evolving, evolving testimony. Da, 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 da. I'd like to bear my testimony. How many times did I? get up and do that as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult, as a missionary. I'd like to bear my testimony. I, I remember thinking at one point how funny it was that we used the word bear as if it was some kind of a burden. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As if it was some kind of a burden to bear this testimony. It didn't feel like it, not at the time. Later, it started to feel more like a burden until I let it go. But I never really did completely let it go, did I? I just changed. I shifted the things that I believed in. I remember going through a phase where I followed President Uchtdorf's advice before he even gave it. I started to doubt my doubts. I remember there was a, something that President Monson said about belief and doubt not being able to exist at the same time within the same mind. And that didn't make sense to me. <laughs> because I knew that in my mind I had both belief and I had both doubt. That was something that I could bear testimony of. And I started to dissect the words that are used to express feelings and beliefs. I started to look closely at the way that we string together sentences. I don't believe. I do believe. What does that mean? I do not believe. Say, for example, I do not believe that the Mormon church is true. Is that the same thing as saying, I believe that the Mormon church is not true? If I say I don't believe in God, does that mean the same thing as I believe that there is no God? If I say I don't believe I'm going to have a very good day today, does that mean I believe I'm not going to have a very good day today? For some reason, I recognized, at least for me, that I was creating in my own mind this illusion just because of the English language that if I don't believe in something, then I don't have a belief. 
I don't believe that in any, anymore. I don't believe that anymore. Is really the same thing as saying, I believe that that's not what I thought it was anymore. <laughs> so I thought that I was leaving belief behind, but I wasn't. I was really just believing in something different. What was it? Why did my beliefs shift? Why did my beliefs change? We had been doing Infants on Thrones for a couple of years when Brother Jake, Jake Frost, called me up one day and he said, Glenn, have you read this book, The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt? And I hadn't heard of it. He's like, you got to read this. We got to do an episode about it. <laughs> the good old days. And so I did. And I didn't completely understand it the first time that I read it, but I knew that I liked it. There was something about it that really spoke to me. I really liked the way that Jonathan Haidt would challenge the moral foundation of people. Would give scenarios to say, let me present this situation to you. And then he would go on to provide some example of a man having sex with a chicken and then killing it, cooking it, and eating it, and asking people, is that wrong? <laughs> or a brother and a sister deciding that they're curious what it would be like to have sex with each other. So they do. Is that wrong? And then he would ask these people, yeah, okay, it's wrong. Why do you think it's wrong? And they would give a reason. And so then he would change his story. Why is it wrong for a brother and a sister to have sex together? Oh, because they might have kids that have deformities, and that's wrong. Oh, well, they both took precautions. They, uh, they used double birth control, triple birth control. They were very careful. They made sure. Is it still wrong? They kept stripping it away and peeling away the different layers of the onion. And one of the conclusions that Jonathan Haidt suggested is that the reasons that we give for why we feel the way that we feel, especially when it comes to moral and ethical things, the reasons that we give aren't necessarily really the cause of our feelings, but, but more it's a post hoc creation, it's a fabrication, we're making something up to try to explain why we already deeply feel something, but we don't really know why we feel it. That made a lot more sense to me when I started to study Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud and what they said about the relationship between the unconscious parts of our mind and the conscious parts of our mind. Our brains are like sponges that collect information through our sensory organs. A lot more information than we're actually aware of. And it's all stored. Every time we encounter anything new, our brain is 
instantaneously comparing that experience to all previous past experiences to determine is this something that's going to be safe or is this something that's going to be dangerous? Jonathan Haidt compared the unconscious mind to an elephant and the conscious part of our mind to a rider. That unconscious mind, that elephant, is responsible for all of these deep feelings that we feel. The way that our unconscious mind is processing all of the data from the environment that's immediately around us in each present moment as it's comparing that against the stored memories, unconscious memories, of everything that we've previously experienced. So this idea that belief and doubt cannot exist in the same mind at the same time doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And there were a lot of things as I got older I started questioning and my beliefs began shifting. I wanted to know if the Book of Mormon really was true. And you know what happens when you really pull on that string. With a sincere desire to follow the evidence to whatever conclusion that evidence leads you to. And it didn't take very long for me to shift my belief that the Book of Mormon is a 19th century creation, written, and that's not even the right word to say, written by Joseph Smith. It was imagined by Joseph Smith. That's by belief, at least. And I will have more to say about that later. But right now, I want to go back in a time machine and share with you a testimony that I wrote, recorded, and published when I was with Mormon Expression back in, it was either 2009 or 2010. It's really interesting for me to look back on this evolving testimony of mine, this evolving belief system of mine. And so I want to share this with you to wrap up today's chapter in the word of weirddom. I'd like to bear my testimony. I know the church is. I know that Joseph Smith was, and that he had, and that he did, and that sometimes I wish that I could too. I know that President Monson is the president of our church, and that the Liahona was round, and that the sword of Laban was sharp, and that the golden plates were shiny. I know that tradition is perhaps the single most important invisible influence in our beliefs and worldview and the way we live our daily lives. I know that using words like perhaps can create a lot of leeway. I know that apologetics makes me want to scream and that two plus three is four. I know the road is narrow and the yoke is easy and that many are called. I know that we must all endure until... I know that folklore is more than just Paul Bunyan. 
I know that religious devotion is created and defended and is often more important than kindness or compassion or tact. I know that prideful people have a problem with pride and I know all about the world. I know that memorats are personal narrative accounts of first-hand experiences with the bizarre and supernatural that they maintain and validate and justify belief. I know that emotion is powerful and real and that memory is malleable. I know that human beings are very good at being human everywhere. I know that hope creates conviction. I know that the culture and the gospel are two separate things in many people's minds. I know the rugs where we sweep our dirty laundry. I know that false dichotomies are false. I know that magic is the idea that we can bind invisible powers to our own personal will. I know that when I pray that I'm speaking, and when I bless that I'm comforting, and when I fast that I'm hungry. I know that the priesthood is for all worthy males who are both worthy and male. I know that Dumbo's special feather was black. I know that three patterns give a sense of wholeness and correctness and completion, be they structures of society, concepts of divinity, or simple patterns of speech. I know that people all too easily confuse the symbol for the idea and reify abstraction and cling desperately to the absurd. I know that I'm sarcastic and irreverent and very mostly true to what I feel. I know that my perspective and delivery is often offensive and threatening and repulsive to many who would otherwise be my parents or my wife or my friends. I know that I'm arrogant and opinionated and I know I could be wrong. I'm thankful for my family and for my friend. I'm thankful that I wasn't born in Africa or in France or to a sexually abusive parent. I'm thankful for my cushy life. I'm thankful for my pain-in-the-neck Japanese mission and for my remarkable accredited BYU education and for the many leaders of the church throughout my life who have set such clear and concrete examples of what I should and should not be. I'm thankful for the story of the atonement and for the promise of redemption, the possibility of repentance, the absolution of divine forgiveness, and the hope of eternal progression. I'm thankful for Jesus' example of love and forgiveness and peace and that he reproached the Pharisees even more than I do. I'm thankful that he hasn't struck me down with lightning yet. I'm thankful that he taught in parables and didn't care if the prodigal son was really prodigal or if the good Samaritan was really real. I'm thankful for Noah and the way he squeezed all those animals into the ark and that he saved the flying reindeer. I'm thankful for Jonah's message to the Ninevites and that great fish have such weak and slow digestion and that he could escape and become a real boy. I'm thankful for the Tower of Babel and for Mahanrai, and for sixteen glowing stones. I'm thankful that Ammon chopped off all those arms. 
I'm thankful that outer darkness requires a perfect understanding, and that even the lowest degree of glory is still a place of everlasting happiness or joy, whichever of those two things is best. I'm thankful that agency is free, that warmth can be luke, and that I have such a comfortable fence to sit on. I'm thankful that the glory of God is intellectual. Wait. I'm thankful for this church and for the many lessons it has taught me and for the many lessons it will continue to teach me as I pull by gradual Sundays the clinging hairs, even the hairs out of my very clinging head in painful, bloody clumps. And these things I say because I still don't know when to just shut up. Eminem. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.